Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Ball 5 podcast, the podcast that finally is starting to, like, really feel the drudges of the offseason. I started really looking forward to the MLB season recently, uh, started just watching games in some of my free time, just pre-ordered MLB The Show today. Uh, so yeah, I'm feeling feeling baseball, and my name is DJ Lopes, and joining me is my host, Chris Lopes. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing good. Um, I have, I've gotten bit, um, by the, by the baseball bug just waiting for the season. Um, last year I stopped my MLB The Show addiction. Thank you. I'm, I'm one year sober. Um, however, uh, MLB 2023 or MLB The Show 23, um, announcing, uh, the Negro Leagues as playable is really cool. Um, so that would be something that would potentially draw me in. So I don't know. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's probably one of the biggest inclusions that they've had in recent memory of like an actual thing that they, they brought in. They introduced co-op last year, but, uh, from all accounts I heard it sucked and I never even got to play it because nobody played it. Uh, I remember having like an only the show group chat I was in and I, tossed out like hey anybody want to play and then either nobody in that chat likes me which is entirely plausible or they just text me and said like you know we tried it it sucks so we're not going to do that so maybe they improve on that but the the negro leagues edition uh does sound very awesome they announced eight legends uh well one of them was jackie robinson who's already been in the game but uh other uh legends including rube foster uh, martin dehigo i think it was john donaldson satchel page I don't want to go and name all of them, but I'm almost close enough, and I know I'm going to miss some, so whatever. <laughs> you get the idea. Uh, they're bringing in the Negro, Buck O'Neill. They're integrating the Negro Leagues players in it, and that's going to be very cool. It's going to be an awesome opportunity for everybody to learn about that league uh, and something that I may want to do a dive on soon. And the uh, best part about it, it's all in congruence with Bob Kendrick of the Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame, who is a guy that I love a lot. I think he's a fantastic storyteller, and I've been meaning to catch up on his podcast, Black Diamonds, um, which you should listen to aside from listening to us. Uh, but yeah, I love Bob Kendrick. I'm so excited that he's going to be a part of it. And I'm just back excited for baseball, which hopefully uh, we all share here. Hopefully we're kind of starting to get that itch back. Uh, spring training, I believe, starts this month. People are going to start reporting to camp and stuff like that we're going to get people in the best shape of their life we might get some people in the worst shape of their life who knows um but yeah i'm excited but first before we went into the main part of our show which today is going to be kind of looking at some of the underdogs that we see uh under the radar teams that we like heading into this year we're going to do a little talk on the hall of fame we didn't get to last week because we started moving to a more bi-weekly thing um and then of course they announced the hall of fame inductees last week so the sole inductee on this vote uh, fred mcgriff was inducted a couple months ago i believe through the veterans committee uh so this was the first this was the sole inductee of the bwa part of the um election uh and the sole inductee was scott Rowland, a third baseman that played for the cincinnati reds the st louis cardinals the philadelphia phillies and a legend who played a total of 203 games for the Toronto Blue Jays. And I'll be honest, um, like I know that Scott Rowland is a very good player. I know he's like one of the greatest defensive third baseman of all time. I've seen some of the highlights 
you know, I, I was seeing a couple tweets that basically they were doing all these comparisons and like so many of the third base comparisons boiled down to him and then Mike Schmidt, which is very good competition to talk about if you're thinking about third baseman. But I think about it and I think that he just his prime and main career was in such a time where if I was getting into baseball, I was solely focused on the local team which at this point was the Red Sox um, in my upbringing, that, like, I don't have really any memories of Scott Rowland. And you can call me a Zoomer for this, whatever, you're right. Um, but, like, I don't... Obviously, like I said, I know he's I know he's awesome. Deserving Hall of Famer, I'm not going to say he's not. But, like, it's just one of those things that he was the only inductee, and I was like, I don't really have any memories of Scott Rowland. The way I had memories of David Ortiz when he was inducted last year, I believe. So, I don't know. Hey, well, if you if you do want to say that you zeroed in on the Boston Red Sox, then you're uh, you're showing your fakeness there because the uh, Boston Red Sox swept a um, Scott Rowland led. They weren't showing Cardinals. They weren't showing a lot of uh, Scott Rowland highlights in the Faith Rewarded documentary that they made on the team. So uh, I knew Albert Pujols was on the team. I think there was a lot of Jeff Supon. Uh, in that documentary for some reason. I think he started one of the games, so that was why. Um, but also, I was five. Yeah, that's fair. Um, no, it, so in in my uh, in my zone, um, like where... Uh, so I remember... Um, I remember Scott Rowland's St. Louis years very well. Um, I love that... I know you were just going backwards off of the teams that he was on. I love that you started off with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, was I like, didn't even have his page up at the time. It was literally the first. I have no clue why, because I know that that's not it. He was a two-time All Star for them, but it's it was. I don't. I have no clue why it was literally the first team that came that he that just came up in my head. Maybe I was thinking of it when I was looking at his uh, baseball reference page during prep, but I have no clue why. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh. Anyways, I I do remember him in St. Louis. The funny part, and more along your lines, and maybe this shows the age of uh both of us in the in the podcast here. Um, I didn't even know he was in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, that was something that uh completely completely got lost on me. Um, but that's because again, so he started off in Philly in '96 and ended there in I guess 2002. Um, so that would have put me at uh nine um when he left uh philly in 2002 so um and so when i when i picked uh knowledge of scott rolling up would have been in the uh early aughts as they say um so that would have put me in the st louis years um so because because when everyone's saying like well they don't know which one he's gonna go um in a what cap he's gonna wear in the hall of fame whatever that matters to people um, everyone kept saying, well, Philly might be, and I'm just like, I, I can only think of them as the St. Louis Cardinal. Um, but that's my own problem. I understand that. So yeah, you two are, everyone's listening to a baseball podcast where the two main hosts hardly know Scott Rowland. Um, so there's that, but yeah, it's a uh, bad look for us, but whatever. I mean, looking at it, right. Looking at it, like his Philly and St. Louis careers are staggeringly similar. Seven yeah. years in Philadelphia, six in St. Louis, uh, he hit 282 in Philadelphia, 286 in St. Louis. OPS of 877 in Philadelphia, 879 in St. Louis, and then even the OPS pluses, 126 in Philadelphia, 127 in St. Louis. So by all means, better player in St. Louis. So yeah, uh, given I, that, 
I just remember him there. And then his 04 season is very good. Um, he had 34 homers and slashed, if I can find it, uh, slash 311, 409, 598. So um, he had a very good year that year. Um, and then also doing all of that while being uh, one of the best um, defensive third basemen out there um, and leading a team to the World Series to get swept by the uh, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez-led um, Boston Red Sox cowboyed up there. And that's what I was going to get into because it kind of intersects with both of our younger baseball fandoms in that two years later, he went on to win the World Series after beating the Mets in the uh, in the 06 NLCS, uh, being on that team. But uh, looking at it, uh, you we've mentioned the great defense, and it really can't be overstated how great of a defender he was. I mean, gold gloves aren't everything, obviously, but... He was a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight time gold glover, which is just not something that happens very often, especially at a position like third, which is, you know, very intensive defensively. Basically, right now, yeah, I can't see I can't think too deep back to like before Roland's time, but I mean like as far as that run of dominance at the position defensively, it's him and then right now it's Nolan Arenado. Yeah. Right now, who knows how long he stays in St. Louis can maybe give Roland a run for his money there at third. But, you know, like I said, just one of those talents that, well, a phenomenal player. It's just not one that I have too, too many memories of. And I'm not going to say that it's a I think in general, it's not a good like Hall of Fame ballot when you only get the one inductee, not including Fred McGriff, obviously. Um, But. Yeah, like I said, it just kind of a person. I wish we got our friend Luke on from one of the group chats where I should have asked him more. Uh, I should have asked him to, to come on this podcast so that we could actually get a Scott Rowland lover um, on there or a Scott Rowland appreciator on there to kind of give us uh, a better look into that. But, you know, we all yeah. we all have our misses there. So looking at the rest of the ballot, though, some of the people that didn't make it, um, which is everybody else but Scott Rowland. Um, but some of the closest people, the top five in voting went Gary Sheffield was was fifth in total percentage of the vote with 55%. Andrew Jones, um, in his sixth year on the ballot, had 58.1%. Billy Wagner had 68.1%, and Todd Helton had 72.2%. Definitely trending upwards, and we'll talk about it when we get to the 2024 um, potential inductees, but I think he's got a really good shot at breaking it through. I think that stuff like the Larry Walker induction a couple years back really helped him kind of, well, Larry Walker did have his career outside, of course, played with the Cardinals, played with the Expos, was a very great player, um, you know, kind of everywhere he went. While he, he still had that kind of course, I guess, stink on him, and that's something that Todd Helton has been facing, it, basically in his entire candidacy, is the fact that he played all of his games at course, but he was also just another great um, you know, great hitter. And the one I want to note now, I, this is one where I want to get more people's like thoughts on like voters thoughts on as to where their mind is for their voting. But like Andrew Jones is the one I always look at, uh, because now there are some character clause things with them. I, uh, got this, I saw this on a foolish Bailey video. I, I'm going to do just a little bit more looking into it. Uh, 
Andrew Jones does have a potential character clause case in that he was arrested at some point for alleged uh, domestic assault in 2012, uh, domestic battery, rather. So there is that character clause there. Um, but I wonder if that's what people look at it as, because we see this all the time with the character clause. People kind of pick and choose when they want to use it. So I wonder if that's why uh, his votes aren't as up there. Uh, you know, when, I mean, one of the things that I, I mentioned is that, like, Barry Bonds had issues with this as well, with, with domestic violence cases and uh, stuff like that. But people, when they were invoking the character clause, weren't invoking it because of that. They were invoking it because of steroids. So I wonder where they're at with that. I mean, if you're looking at it from a player basis, um, he hit over 400 home runs and was the greatest center fielder defensively for like 10 plus seasons. So I don't know how from a baseball perspective you don't let him in. But yeah, that's why I kind of want to hear. I, I wish I had more voters kind of perspective on why... Um, you know, he kind of lags there behind in the voting, but I, I don't know if it's that because like I mentioned, I, I don't think that they, they really use the, the character clause. They use it very selectively. I'll say there. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, uh, it, it, it definitely has to be a character clause thing. Um, because like you said, that it's not just the fact that just looking at the numbers, Andrew Jones, is a hall of famer like i don't think that there is like you said i don't think that there's any um argument to be made that he's not um it's not just the numbers it's kind of what you said as being the one of the dominant faces of the center field position um during his time now i i think you know maybe he runs into situations where his career overlaps with like a like um uh ken griffey jr and stuff like that you know um but i don't know like it, it just feels to me like for the most part um andrew jones you know spent the overwhelming majority of his career as you know one of the best if not the best overall um overall uh center fielder uh hitting and offensive and he got in the league this is actually interesting he got in the league at 19 um and played a significant amount of games from his age 20 season on um and during that main stretch with atlanta he was actually kind of like an iron horse like he didn't get hurt it's his first year um less than 150 games is uh 2008 so um so i don't know uh i i it has to be a character clause but like you're saying it's it feels weird when it gets invoked um but yeah Andrew Jones is a very good baseball player. I don't think yeah. that that's, uh, that's going. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, uh, just looking at kind of the rest of the top five, you know, Gary Sheffield has his has his baggage with, uh, you know, the steroids and, uh, you know, just stuff like that. Um, Carlos Beltran, I think, is a particularly interesting case in that he was one of the first people that hit the ballot that was thoroughly engaged in the Astros cheating scandal. Now, I, I wonder if people see that as far off far enough off of his uh you know peak as a player and it's been enough years where we've kind of at this point i think as a general thing kind of moved on you know and there's still obviously some people that will talk about trash cans at, at astros games even though like two of them were on the 2017 team at this point um but 
I think that the the Beltron thing is is kind of curious in that he got forty six and a half percent of the vote, um, despite that. So I think that he has a pretty good shot at eventually climbing up. I think that that's a pretty decent first turnout, uh, by far the highest, uh, you know, vote total of all the first timers. Uh, the next closest, the only first timer that stuck on the ballot other than him was Francisco Rodriguez at ten point eight percent, but even still not like a super encouraging run there um so i'm curious as to what his looks like obviously another case where like that peak was was incredible one of the best center fielders in baseball um but stuff like that and the fact that he was kind of a catalyst in the 2017 astros uh scandal potentially at least i don't know if we've gotten confirmation that he was the veteran but i think there's a lot of speculation there um and a lot of ideas that he was one of the main veterans behind it um, the guy I mainly wanted to talk about in this top five, under other than the ones we mentioned briefly, is Billy Wagner, who's like another one that kind of baffles me. And I get it that we have this kind of idea that relievers should have a hard have a harder time getting into the Hall of Fame, but like I don't know, man. Billy Wagner was next level amazing. Like he even has like the four hundred twenty two saves counting stats that you want to look to. I think people kind of look at him because he only pitched 903 innings. I uh, I think that they kind of look at him as somebody that maybe didn't pitch as much as they wanted for a closer. But like when he's on the mound and he pitched pretty decently into his career, 38 years old, and he was an all-star in that year. Um, I don't know, man. He's just somebody that like at every spot of his career, he did not have a bad year over... 15 years essentially well i mean in houston uh 2000 just looking at it right now 6 to 18 era in 28 years uh, he had one bad year um <laughs> in in a 15 year career which is just insane the the run he went on as a reliever did not get any sort of respect uh well i mean close to getting voted in but like not already slam dunk hall of famer voted in a couple ballots earlier yeah, um, no, he's definitely an interesting case there. I mean, he even had some, some I don't even want to say down ballot, mo- kind of up ballot uh, Cy Young Award votes. Now, granted, uh, do you, how much do you really look into that? Probably none at all, not at all, um, because that's probably not a good, um, good, good uh, voting metric there. Um, but Billy Wagner, I, I feel like he not only just revolutionized you know, some parts of the, of the, uh, closer era, um, he really revolutionized that kind of lefty closer, you know, um, was just such a good power arm there. He's probably another one that, that maybe struggles because he pitched alongside the Trevor Hoffmans and stuff, um, where, you know, that Trevor Hoffman kind of overshadowed just in counting stats wise, because I don't think, you know, actual pitching wise um the it's it's overshadowed by much if at all i mean also Um, basically mirrored for the years mariano's career yeah so he was yeah i guess right should have mentioned mariano (laughs) (laughs) he he was literally right like kind of peak to retirement of trevor hoffman and then basically the entirety of mariano rivera's career yeah so maybe he just runs into a situation where again it's kind of a um com- unfair comparison with the rest of his group um but i don't know i i think he 
he is an interesting case and i unfortunately think that he's probably not going to make it um just due to the fact that where voting is at the state but he's good <laughs> yeah with with two years uh, with two years left he's got about uh he's at 68.1 percent of the vote which is not like a bad it's entirely possible to make that jump of that amount of percentage points in two years but it's not you know it, it's still a little tough especially like when when he was as dominant as he is and it's taken eight years just to get him this high up on the ballot you almost wonder if you know why it why it's taking this long uh and then you know just just looking down the ballot obviously uh Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez Alex Rodriguez is probably the best player on this entire list but who knows if he's ever going to get in because of uh, not just at this point steroid allegations like steroid proven he's been suspended multiple times and I kind of think that once you get to the multiple suspensions it really hurts your hall of fame chances I mean, even one suspension really kind of kills it. But like, I, I even still, it's one of those things where it's, uh, you know, a kind of like a Bonds thing where this inner circle level talent, um, for reasons that they could have definitely prevented on their own, but even still, um, conceivably won't even make it to the Hall of Fame. Uh, but that I think is it for 2023. We're gonna look forward a little bit to the 2024 eligibles, and then I'm gonna ask. Um, one question, and then we'll talk about a player that I know that we both kind of want to talk about with this regard. So the eligibles for 2024 are Jose Bautista, Adrian Beltre, Bartolo Colon, Adrian Gonzalez, Matt Holliday, Jim Johnson, Victor Martinez, Joe Maurer, Brandon Phillips, Jose Reyes, James Shields, Chase Utley, David Wright, and Brad Ziegler. I like that they tossed Brad in there. I know that is just in alphabetical order. But hey, he was a pretty good reliever, but still uh, kind of funny just to have. And I guess James Shields, too, kind of thrown in on this list. But um, yeah, so uh, the question I kind of want to start off, is there anybody you think that can crack it in on their first time on the ballot? Yeah, I mean, so I think that there are going to be some interesting ones. I think the the player that has the best chance to crack it in first time, um, but probably won't because it's really hard to be a first time ballot Hall of Famer is going to be Beltre, you know, um, I, I love Adrian Beltre, and it's very interesting because he's someone who, you know, had a renaissance in his career, um, but I, I think that that one is almost kind of the obvious pick there, um, I am really interested because of how the voting, uh, can take place and everything, I am very intrigued as to see where Joe Maurer lands, um in the uh baseball writers um writers uh vision because i struggle to look at his you know stats and say yep he's a you know first ballot hall of famer um you know but i would also be one that would say um you know that uh that there you know but like a player like buster posey or something like that when usually those are the two that you think of um that him and yadier molina eventually um but I, like i would sit there and say buster posey definitely but when you look at the numbers between joe uh joe mauer and buster posey um they're kind of pretty similar um so i don't know and, and a lot of people will say that you know buster posey is 
you know, one of those definitely going to make the halls. So um, I'm intrigued to see where Joe kind of falls on this vote. Uh, what do you, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was looking at it and I I think the the benefit for Adrian Beltre is that the years when he was at his best, so like his just like absolute kind of peak years in Texas were very recent. Like he played 20 years and a lot of them, aside from his time with the Dodgers, which was, you know, fine, but nothing mind blowing. Um, a lot of his time with like his peak with the Rangers was pretty recent and a lot of people saw it. And, you know, a, a lot of these voters, I think that he could get a lot of recency in that in in his candidacy that could help him in the first couple of years of the ballot kind of touch that uh, 75%. And, you know, you did mention Mauer. I think looking at it, uh, just looking at the, the whole entire thing, there are, I think, a couple of people that could crack through eventually. Um, but as far as just looking at the two people that have the best shot to make it pretty early in a run, I do think it does come down to Mauer and um, Beltre. I am somebody that... I view catchers who have offense, who have like great offense, very highly, and I think that well, a lot of his later career was spent as like a full time first baseman, and he's played just about as many games as a DH or first baseman as he has catcher. So it's kind of you know if he what you want to necessarily qualify him, I still view him in my mind as a catcher, and that's where most of his prime was in some of his best years, and I think that. I mean, especially looking at his 2009 season of 28 homers, slashing 365, 444, 587. That's one of the better years you can you can really get out of a catcher. And just his 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 whole entire time there is when he was behind the plate was just you know great, consistently a 900, 800 OPS kind of guy. He didn't really have a lot of pop, but I think he was still just a phenomenal hitter that also brought you the value of being a catcher. So I don't know. Maybe it's because growing up I did play catcher, so I'm more partial to them. But I I think I think that in the first couple of years we could see Mallet Mauer break the ballot. Um, but to the player that we probably want to talk about because obviously he is basically at this point the Mets as far as like position players go. You know, obviously pitchers you have your Jacob Degroms and Tom Seaver very obviously. Um, but as far as position players goes, I would feel comfortable saying at least since like the 2000s, he's one, he's like the guy that defines the Mets. Uh, and that's David Wright, obviously. You know, uh, Chris is, I would guess, probably one of your favorite, if not your favorite player. Yeah, no, they, uh, he, he was my, I'd say he's my favorite Met um, of all time. But because obviously I, I started really being a Mets fan. Um, in kind of that uh, 2005-ish, 2007-ish time uh, in between those years. Um, again, you know, telling my story, I think I've mentioned it before, but uh, obviously DJ might have alluded to that we grew up in kind of the Northeast, so um, it's really kind of Boston Red Sox uh, country where we are. Um, and Pedro's my favorite player ever, so when Pedro moved over uh, to the Mets, I kind of followed him. Um, and I just really fell in love with the New York Mets, um, and David Wright was the reason that I did. Um, so I, I have such fond memories of, of, uh, watching David play, um, and 
you know, um, it, it's just such a such a hard, such a hard, hard career to even talk about. You know, um, I, it's it's insane to look at the numbers um, for his run during, uh, I believe, yeah, really from 2005 to 2010. Um, it was just next level. Um, and it's, it's hard to look at the stretch that he had, um, between those years. And again, you know, it's always the what ifs or whatnot. Um, he's, I gotta say he's, he's gotta be a definite hall of famer. If you look at kind of just peak wise, um, I think he's someone that looks like what an Adrian Beltre looked like and stuff like that. Um, just a great, you know, defensive uh, hard-nosed player not someone that you're going to look at like we say talk about Roland or Arenado or anything not someone that you look at and says like wow they're you know metrically one of the best defensive third basemen in the world um, but a good defensive third baseman but then also just you know a cornerstone of a team um, you know definitely the guy that you want to be batting um, when you need an RBI or something like that um, and just the captain, you know, his Captain America in the World Baseball Classic, like, is he just has that leadership persona. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm somebody that views careers on like a, a peak level, like where you were at your best and how long your best extended. Um, so the way I kind of see it is like. So in order to qualify for the Hall of Fame, you have to have 10 you know, full seasons of service time. If the the way I see if you were able to compile like a peak of around 10 years where for a vast majority of that time you were one of the best, if not the best at your position, you deserve at least a good chance at making the Hall of Fame. And David Wright kind of has that, you know, from like we mentioned from I'm going to include 2005 to uh, 2014, which is um, like a nine year, a nine year stretch where he was a seven-time All-Star, uh, a two-time Gold Glover, two-time Silver Slugger, finished in the M- top ten in MVP voting ten- four times. Um, you know, just consistently a guy that was going to hit around 300, hit you, you know, like 28 homers in a year. And uh, let me actually just pull up the slash line for that to- 2005 to 2014 time. Uh, OPS plus of 134. With a slash line of 299, 379, 493, totaling with an 871 OPS. Um, OPS. So, you know, I, I think you take all of that together. And I think that there's definitely a case. Uh, it's definitely tough when you look at the fact that I just mentioned the whole 10-year thing. And he has nine years of playing over 100 games. So, I think that there are definitely availability stuff with his candidacy. But I think that he definitely has an interesting one where you could see a lot of people just tossing it off like on its face just because there's that lack of longevity. But then you have the sort of voters that might be a little bit more new age that are, you know, looking at stuff like your peaks, your, your best seven years, your best seven or eight or nine years, uh, like I just pulled up and are considering that hall of fame worthy. So I think that he could be a good litmus test as to, um, the idea of like the best ability being availability and like a hall of fame uh, consideration. Yeah. It's just, I, I think that he is, you know, one of the biggest what ifs, um, what ifs 
if he stayed healthy, where he could go. I do not think he's going to make the Hall of Fame by any stretch. I don't even think he's going to come close. Um, but uh, I, I, to me, it's just a what if. What if he never got hurt? He also ran a lot. Uh, he, he, you know, kind of was a was a twenty stolen base. Even he had a few years where he hit kind of the thirties or got close to it. He had thirty four in two thousand seven and and twenty seven and oh nine. So. Um, he ran a little bit and also could hit you 30 home runs. That's pretty insane. So, um, I, yeah, 30, 30 season in 2007. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, uh, say that David Wright is not a good baseball player. I don't think that anyone's saying that. Um, but it's just, I think the, the words that summarize him is what if he's your what if guy. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Time to get into, I guess, the main part of our show, 30 minutes in. I did not think that we were going to go that long on the Hall of Fame, but uh, we're always one to surprise. So, basically, what I had in mind was we have, uh, I just looked up one random odds maker site, the BetMGM site. Uh, we're not really gambling people, so we don't I, don't, I don't know too much about what are the best places to look for this stuff, um, but I just took uh, a site like that. And then we're going to look at people that rank outside of the top 12, uh, which is how many playoff spots, obviously, there are in, the ML- in MLB. Uh, teams that are currently outside of the top 12 on World Series odds. And then see uh, who we think in that 12 right now is going to fall out and who's our kind of underdog teams to replace them. So um, I'm just going to mention the, the top 12 right now, which are the Astros, Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, Braves, Padres, Phillies, Blue Jays, Mariners, White Sox, Guardians, and Cardinals. Um, and then I think Chris and I are going to pick a team from each league that are outside of that current thing, and then kind of look at who they could potentially replace and uh, what they could be doing to potentially make the playoffs. So uh, I'm going to start, and I the team I have in the NL that's like I'm potentially I'm high on. I understand where it could absolutely go wrong and they could just win 70 games, but I could also see uh, like an 88-89 win team sneaking into the uh, sneaking into the playoffs. And that is the Chicago Cubs, uh, who I think this is maybe the easiest one to pick because the NL Central is a division that doesn't like to try very often. And aside from adding Wilson Contreras, the Cardinals, I don't think, did anything. And the Chicago Cubs had a pretty decent offseason. They added Eric Hosmer. Uh, that's the first thing I mentioned when talking yeah. about their additions. I guess <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Um, but they they made a couple like solid fringe moves. Obviously the Dansby Swanson uh, addition, and then you know making a making a change of scenery bet on Cody Bellinger, uh, getting guys like Trey Mancini, Eric Hosmer, as I just mentioned. Um, and not too much on the pitching, except for Jamison Tyone who's a pretty solid starter who probably looks to be up towards the top of that rotation. Um, I just kind of see like a, a solid, you know, fine team that once again is playing in the NL central. And I know that you're facing your division mates less this year with the balanced schedule, but I, if, like I said, the Cardinals don't really make any improvements like at the deadline or anything like that, I could see a team like this potentially, you know, things go right. And Cody Bellinger even just hits a little bit better. Uh, you know, say a Suzuki was good, sorry, was good last year, but a potential breakout this year. Um, and you know, just stuff with the pitching, it's pretty thin. It, I would say, I kind of 
falls off a cliff after Marcus Stroman and Jameson Tyone with people that are, you know, decent bets. Like, Justin Steele was pretty solid last year, but, you know, it's just a lot of guys that you don't know who you're going to get. Uh, it's a lot of hope out of people like Hayden Wisniewski um, and other people that made some spot starts for them, like Adrian Sampson um, and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I, I am still kind of high on them as a team. I like a lot of the talent, a decent amount of the talent on here. And I think that there's a chance that, you know, a couple things break right. Maybe they make a move at a deadline for a really good rotation piece. And then they kind of ride that to, and like I said, I'm not even saying like a, a 95 win team running away with the central. I'm thinking like a, like an 88, 89 win solid team in a bad division division champion. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. So when you, when you look at, when you look at the NL, um, like you mentioned, you know, some of your your uh, third place teams in the divisions are, you know, kind of projected to be teams like the Phillies or, you know, even the the kind of Padres or Giants in those realms. And and those are all tough teams to say are like dark horse candidates to make it anywhere. Um, I So and then everyone else is kind of crap there. Um, so I am going to kind of piggyback on the Cubs with you, for, at least for the NL. Um, the, like you said, the biggest reason is that I, I think that they have a lot of the, um, reclamation projects and, and I think reclamation projects can be fun. Um, you know, so, so I think that, you know, kind of betting on, um, a bounce back from a guy like Bellinger, change of scenery thing, you know, betting that Swanson is going to want to stay or want to be, you know, the shortstop in Chicago and, and whatnot. And like you said, you know, the NL Central is pretty weak. Um, I think the team that you're looking at um, that's probably going to fall off in the NL is probably going to be the Brewers, um, which is obviously another NL Central team there. Um, and it's just because to me, you know, you're when you're looking at the Brewers um, and you're looking at their team, their, their real big strength is their pitching. Um, and that's always really scary to have as your biggest strength, you know, um, and, and looking at their, their rotation, you know, you have Wade Miley in at the, uh, at the five spot. And then, you know, if there's an injury in that depth, then, uh, then you might be, you might be kind of scratching at, um, scratching at some things that you don't want to be. So, um, I don't know. I I think, you know, you're probably going to see the Brewers fall and maybe the Cubs work their way up. Yeah, and I, like I said, I think out of the teams I mentioned in the top 12, I do see the Cardinals as the, the central team to drop out, just by virtue of them being the only central team within that uh, that 12. So I, I think that you're not getting a, a wild card team out of the central. I think it's pretty firmly a one, I'm talking like it's college basketball, pretty firmly a one-bid league, a one-big conference there. Um so I think you're you're pretty much only going to get that out of there, which is why when you're talking about those one those you know one playoff team divisions, I think that something like this is pretty interesting because there's just like four out of the five teams didn't really make a lot of moves in the division. Uh, Pittsburgh made some moves, but they're you know more on the margins, and I think that'll make them fun. I think that Pittsburgh's actually going to be a decently fun team. They're not going to be very good. Um, so they're really not going to run up on this thing. But, you know, the Brewers didn't make any moves, really, aside from getting William Contreras, which is good. But, like, aside from that, didn't really do anything. 
as I just mentioned, aside from getting Wilson Contreras, which once again is another good thing, but still, the Cardinals didn't do anything. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Cubs made a couple moves that if they hit, and if they hit just right, I think really could catapult them into that time, and then they'll probably, probably be like, I don't know, swept by the Padres or something like that in a wild card uh, league. So, since I went first on the NL, and we kind of agreed on that, I'll let you go first on the AL. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, looking at your your uh, kind of teams that are a little bit out of there, um, I think you're probably your best bet to say um, that a team that's not within the top 12 that is going to probably make the playoffs or at least could make the playoffs. Your best bet's probably going to be the Twins, um, and we can talk more about that. But I do want to look into at least a little bit into is this the year that the Angels are going to do something? Um, I'm and... glad you're playing the role of Angels Optimist so I don't have to. <laughs> well, I don't really know if I really want to. Uh, I think the, the team that I really wanted to be the Optimist for and they're not going to do it. So this is kind of just a meme pick um, for me would would have been the Baltimore Orioles. Um, but I think that they're going to be kind of in the Pittsburgh realm, like you were saying, where they're not going to be that good. But I think they're going to be a fun team to watch, um, you know, and, and watch some watch some younger guys see what Adley Rushman can do um, with a full uh, with the full team. And, you know, they, they did get, you know, Kyle Gibson and, and have Cole Irvin now, you know, so um, their their rotation is kind of interesting. You know, um, so I, I, again, I don't really think that Baltimore is going there. So, yes, I'll talk a little bit about the Angels here. Um, I mean, it, it's really hinging, again, on Trout and Otani um, and and even Rendon, although I'm not sure if Rendon's even going to play uh, or if he's hurt or whatnot. Um, I probably could have looked into that. He's feeling still serving fantastic. that suspense. He's still serving. I think they, they might... I don't know if they can bring him back early, like from the IL, so that he can serve a suspension like five games before he's ready and then come back. I'm not sure if that actually happens or works, or if they've already had him serve a suspension, but I think he's still hurt or working back from it. I have no idea. But anyways, he's, he's still a moot thing because he's not good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, getting getting a guy like, uh, like Hunter Renfro um, is, you know, interesting. Um, and And it's just it's gonna be it's they're 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 a team that isn't really much um there there are a bunch of guys that are like yeah that player is okay you know like that player is fine and then you also have the two like generational best talents and, and that's not saying anything that hasn't been said about this team you know um it's it's something that is is clearly there ah, but i do i just want to see mike trout in the playoffs so bad you know that um, that I I think that if he can put something together for a full season um, with him and Shohei, um, I I just don't see how they can't squeeze in the playoffs. But yeah, I mean, because like the thing with the the thing with the Angels is that they had an actual good off season this year. They they signed Tyler Anderson who is a, a decent upside play, see if he can transfer some of those things that he learned with the Dodgers that made him so good, and, and take that there. They, like you mentioned, they got Hunter Renfro, they traded for Gio Urshela, 
They signed Brandon Drury. They made a lot of moves that I really liked. But it's the Angels. So I can't be too... Uh, like, there, there's a world in which this all falls apart. And in fact, 95% of the time, the world we live in is the world where things fall apart for the Angels. So it's just one of those things where I want to be optimistic about them. And you could very easily talk yourself into being optimistic about the Angels, but you've also been able to talk yourself into being optimistic about the Angels for, like, seven years in a row now. Basically, ever since they got eliminated from the playoffs that one time the Trout made it. So, like I said, I'm glad you get to be the Angels optimist uh, this time around, because I kind of wanted to play it, but then I told myself I wasn't going to do that again. I, I hope they prove me wrong, because at this point I just cannot continue seeing this for trout and otani and at this point if they don't do it now uh, otani's probably going to be gone and then that's the best shot that we had at getting trout to the playoffs and and really making a good run so i, I don't know who knows the team i was going to pick another western uh, al west team which i guess is tough because like the thing is is that if you make a pick for the west you're basically penciling in that the astros are going to either win the division or make the playoffs and then that leaves the Mariners, who are a good, a very good team that made the playoffs and then got better, I would say, in the offseason. If not, I mean, maybe just a little more on the margins, but still got better this offseason. So you're almost kind of thinking that there's a regression there or like the Blue Jays don't make the wild card. Um, so I, I'm thinking now in this case, this is an easy who slips because I am not high on the White Sox this year and I have no clue how bet MGM is high on the White Sox this year, uh, making the playoffs. A lot of people are. Sorry to cut you off there, but I think a lot of people are high on the White Sox for some reason. Um, but I think anyone who knows anything about baseball does not think that the White Sox are going to go anywhere. <laughs> so. and like, maybe they just plan on bounce backs for every single one of their players. But, like, I think they got worse because they didn't spend any money aside from Andrew Benintendi. Yeah, and the and team is just... Confounding is not good. But. Yeah, so I don't I don't know how they're so highly rated there, especially in a win the World Series odds. Um, but regardless, I'll just say that they on this bet MGM thing replace the uh, replace the replace the White Sox. So I'll go with the Rangers. Um, I'll be optimistic about the Rangers if they can get. Let's say, and this is optimistic here, they can get. 22 Jacob deGrom starts. If Jacob deGrom only misses like eight starts in his time, uh, I'll put it there. They have a pretty good shot because their other, the rest of their rotation isn't bad. Uh, They had Martin Perez, who was very good last year. Who knows if that was lightning in the bottle or if they really, you know, found something with him that can project forward into being a pretty solid middle to back end of the rotation starter for a playoff team. And then John Gray, who I think was just okay last year, but I think is in general a pretty solid pitcher. And then uh, they signed Nate Eovaldi and Andrew Haney, who both had, I mean, Haney had a good season last year, was injured. And then Eovaldi had an ass season, was injured, but has the track record of being a pretty good starter over the last couple of years. Um, so I think, once again, it's a huge health thing in that the three people that they did sign have very recent injury history. But if all works, which, you know, who knows if it will, um, that's a pretty good relation. That's a pretty good rotation. And then their offense is, 
once again, like the top four is very, very good. Marcus Semien, Corey Seager, Nate Lowe, who's quietly been one of the best first basemen in baseball, and Adolis Garcia. And then you're, you're hoping from a good bounce back season from a guy like Josh Jung, who can come back from injury and be like a really good prospect. I'm just looking up Roto Champs projected um, lineup for the team. Uh, Jonah Heim was pretty solid last year as a catcher just being able to be like a switch hitting bat that that plays a, a good backstop and then you know like I said I don't know maybe they're another team that makes a move at the deadline and then their rotation really carries them I I could see them being once again uh like I kind of said with the Cubs that 88 to 89 win team that with two weeks left in September is only like a game and a half out and then I don't know the Rays are in the third spot and they lose 10 out of the last 12 of the season and the Rangers just have a pretty good run and make it to the playoffs. So so that's a situation that I could very easily see. Um, I feel like we should just mention the Rays out front. I don't know any moves they made. I don't know who's going to be on the roster, but I think you can just make a safe assumption that they'll probably be in the mix. But I don't know. Last year kind of felt like they were they were injured a lot, so they, they had a lot of trouble. But last year kind of started to feel like the like the magic was maybe fading a little. So who knows? Maybe they just come back and win 98 games this year. But once again, uh, I, I don't think that anybody should bet against the Rays, but I wanted to pick somebody different, and the Rangers haven't made the playoffs in a minute, so. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. You know, I think I think the Rangers are um, are I think the Rangers are the smarter team to choose than the Los Angeles Angels there, because um, the Rangers have you know some pedigree on their team that can which is, take them there. Which um, is funny but, because looking on paper, I the Angels have a better roster. Well, I mean, <laughs> but again, they... it's 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 again hinging <laughs> on two generational talents, and then everyone else is kind of like, yeah, Renhifo, nice. Um, I, I don't know. I think the Rays, just to kind of talk a little bit about on the Rays, it's, it's really going to be, you know, uh, is is Wander Franco, you know, kind of going to gonna get there uh, this year and, and show up um, and show up and show that that prospect pedigree that he had um, and kind of like, you know, is McClanahan going to continue? Um, so it, it's really kind of just just that type of stuff is glass now going to stay healthy. So. Um, but like you said, there, there's always going to be some type of devil magic that goes on there, um, that they're going to win like every single game and then win the AL East or some crap like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to happen by the way, but yeah, I, I don't think so either, but I think that that does it on our segment now. Um, I, I know, I think we both mentioned on last episode that we had our remember some guys picked out. But then I had the idea to do the um, two, since we talked about the Hall of Fame for half of this episode, I wanted to do Remember Some Guys based off the Hall of Fame, because I think the Hall of Fame ballots, since, uh, like I said, the requirement is to play 10 years, which is a lot in baseball times, but also sometimes you can just stick around 10 years being like a great player for six of them, and then just a guy that people want to hang around and drink beer with after the game for the last four or five. Um... So I think that's why you get a lot of like pretty solid like, hey, that guy was really fun for a little bit, guys on this ballot. So I think I wanted to do a remember some guys with the people that were left off uh, of the ballot, did not reach the required 5% of the vote to hang on. Uh, shout out Tory Hunter really hanging on to that 6.9% of the vote. Um, 
and just barely missing this, so I guess uh, potentially shout out to him. Um, so yeah, I wanted to do a Remember Some Guys where we each picked a guy uh, who did not get selected uh, to the Hall of Fame to stick on the ballot. And the guy I'm going to pick who very perfectly fits the category that I had set out of one-time All-Star um, is Jacoby Ellsbury. This guy may be a little too recent to remember, especially because his Yankees tenure was so tumultuous in that he was always hurt since 2017 um, and was never really that good for them. But I I did want to mention him because, like, I just want to talk about his 2011, which is one of the most confounding out-of-nowhere seasons I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Aside from this season, his career high in home runs was 16 home runs. But even then, he he did not even hit 10 once other than that. And in 2011, he hit 32 home runs, uh, stole, sorry, stole 39 bases, and then slashed 321, 376, 552 with a 928 OPS, was second in MVP voting, won the gold glove, won the silver slugger, got an all-star appearance, and then... It just never even got close to that since. He, I think he used that to get a, a pretty decent bag, left after 2013 to get a lot of money from the Yankees, and then just was never good. But another reason I wanted to mention um, Jacoby Ellsbury is that one thing I remember about him is that he was one of the first players I remember that had like the arm sleeve, the one arm sleeve, compressed sleeve. Um, and I remember I wanted to look like that when I played baseball, so I would wear a long sleeve t-shirt. And then just roll up one of the sleeves all the way to like where it got cut off by my sleeve and then just let one hang. And it never worked, obviously, because long sleeve t-shirts aren't meant to work like that. And the sleeve kept rolling down. But I kept trying to roll it up so that I could look like Jacoby Ellsbury. I never played a single game of my life that looked like Jacoby Ellsbury, but I could at least fake wearing an arm sleeve for a day. Yeah, I do want to state that DJ says this and... DJ is uh, consistently the slowest person on our softball team. Um, I'd say I did that say I've never played a, a game like Jacoby Ellsbury. You would you would lose in a foot race against Dad, um, our, our father, uh, who also has uh, is on uh, crutches right now for a heel spur. Um, so, <laughs> I think that's fair. I I don't play by the rules. I I'll I'll play to my advantage and I'll swipe that damn crutch, <laughs> and I'll win. But in general. I do understand that I am not a fast runner. Um, um, Jacoby, he is funny because he's, it's really just like he's another what if because he just continuously was hurt every single year. Um, but he was so good uh, for that one year that it's just like, holy crap, he could have been, you know, kind of like a, I hate to put this name out there, but kind of like a Ricky Henderson like prototype, you know? Um, where it, he would have never have been as good as Ricky Anderson, but um, but it was just that kind of dual power and uh, and stolen base that um, that really could have gotten me there. So, um, Jacoby's good yeah, pick. and I mean, I, I could kind of see it because like in two thousand nine, he had a seventy steal season. He had multiple fifty steal seasons. It, looking at it right now, I maybe this is I showing how little attention I paid to his Yankees career. I did not know he played that many games for the Yankees. He played 520 of them for the Yankees, almost nearly as much as he played for the Red Sox. 
but I, I just remember him for like the last three years just not being on the roster at all, but still getting paid a lot of money by them. Uh, so yeah, that is my pick of people left off the ballot after um, his first time on there, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. Yeah, uh, so so my pick, um, kind of similar, I guess, um, but just, just someone that actually when you look at his stats wasn't really that great he was a he was good uh he is also a one-time all-star um i'm gonna go with a jason worth um probably one of the more interesting people uh because his name is spelled j-a-y-s-o-n um the the funny part about jason worth is that again looking at his stats he was decent you know he had uh multiple um high 20s home run seasons um, one year, his all-star year, he hit 36 home runs, um, played, uh, I guess, a few years in Toronto and L.A., um, but was primarily a Philly and a national. Um, and I, it, it's just someone who um, played against the Mets um, for the majority of the time that I was a New York Mets fan. Uh, or I am a New York Mets fan, obviously, but he when he played there, and I was also a New York Mets fan. Um, just he was always someone that um, I think we talked briefly about it, where you would think that they're like nine hundred hitters, uh, your Miguel Rojas's and stuff. Um, you would have told me, you could have told me that he was the next coming of Barry Bonds, and I would have believed you. Um, I always felt that he was uh, one of those people that I was always afraid of. Um, when he stepped up in the box. Um, and again, looking at his numbers, good baseball player, but not great. Um, so yeah, Jason Worth, and also just the dumbest soul patch in the world. Um, it just always seemed to have that. Yeah, on that, uh, on that Phillies photo. Yeah, on the Phillies photo. And then I, I remember him in the Washington Nationals, just huge beard, huge flowing hair. Um, but just such a funny uh, soul patch picture for the Phillies photo. So yeah, Jason Worth, my guy. Yeah, definitely, I would say, at least in his Nationals era, when he had the long-ass hair and the, the long beard, definitely one of, like, the more recognizable players of that 2010s era, in that even if you probably didn't know a ton, even if you didn't know his name, you could pick him out and say, like, I, I think I know that guy. Um, but yeah, I think just a really, really solid hitter, uh, solid corner outfielder for some of those... Uh, he, because he came along with the with Washington, right as they were starting to kind of pick it up, and and get to be a, a pretty decent team. I always rem, I think I remember, just like one time randomly turning on a net a playoff game, and like seconds after I turned it on, he hit a walk off home run. That's like my my lasting Jason Worth memory, is that he he hit a walk off and I turned it on like literally the pitch before it happened. Um. So yeah, like I like I was saying, a, a very good hitter, career eight sixteen OPS, uh, just one of those kind of power hitting corner outfielders that you could uh you could always kind of count on, even if he wasn't like the best player on your team or going to be the guy that says like, yeah, we're gonna win the World Series because we got Jason Worth, just a guy that if you wanted to be a pretty good team, the prototype of player you had to have. Just a, a guy that you could count on for 25 homers a season that was going to hit like fourth or fifth in the lineup and uh, and really bring a lot of people home. Yeah, it's just always funny that um, the majority of his Nationals career was played 
alongside a Bryce Harper, and um, I was always like nervous for the Harper Jason Worth at bats. <laughs> so, yeah, his first year in uh, twenty eleven, I believe, was the year before. Yeah, yeah it's Harper the year before uh, Bryce Harper came up. So they finished eighty and eighty one, and then Bryce Harper came up in twenty twelve. Wins the rookie of the year. They go ninety eight and sixty four. And then up until 2019, did not win a single division series uh, or playoff series. So uh, that was always fun. But uh, yeah, I think that does it for today's episode. Any parting thoughts for us, Chris? No, I mean, uh, it's, uh, let's let's get baseball uh, coming up. Uh, World Baseball Classic 2, that's going to be really fun this year. So um, yeah, just keep uh, baseballs on the horizon, folks. Yeah, I think, uh, I think for last year, for next episode which we'll do in a couple weeks we will uh because at that point that'll be end of february so we'll be looking at uh early march which is when the world baseball classic uh, starts hopefully we'll have uh final more finalized rosters by then uh that we can really look into and start to analyze who's going to win um and you know really kind of predict it so i am really looking forward to that i think the caribbean series is going on right now i unfortunately don't have espn plus so i can't watch it um I, I forgot to say this at the beginning of that episode of the episode, but I think it's like a Rogers Hornsby quote or something like that. That that famous quote where like people ask me what I do when there's no baseball. And it's like I sit in the window and wait for there to be baseball. I'm not quite like that in that when the season ends, I'm probably so drained by the Mets that I'll take a couple weeks to like not even think about baseball. And then at that point, basketball starting up. So I, I start getting into other things. But now I'm just really at the point where I'm like, really wanting it to come back so i i could not be more excited by all the things that are happening recently and the um you know people reporting the spring trainings uh now so uh yeah like i said i hope you enjoyed listening and i hope you guys continue to listen as we get closer and closer to the season peace out